welcome to Conversations on Sex, Addiction, and Relationships. I'm Wendy Conquest, and I'm here with Tim Stein and Dan Drake. Geneva Tony is not with us today, but we wanted to keep providing information to you on a regular basis. So today, uh, we are going to talk about secrets. And we talk about lying a lot uh, with... Uh, especially with sex addiction and betrayal trauma. But this idea of secrets um, has come up. And uh, I'll just say that um, I, I read an article. Uh, it was in Psychology Today, July 2022. And the title was Why We Keep So Many Secrets. And so I read the article and it's been haunting me a bit. Uh, here we are a year later, and so uh, I wanted to uh, discuss this in our conversation today, and Tim and Dan seem excited about the idea, so here we are. So how are you guys? How are you doing today? Good. Well, we had some pre, pre-recording conversations, so obviously it was rich. Hopefully we can keep some of that going, but I'm, you know, doing okay. I think there's, this is a really important topic. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, I I think this is going to be an interesting topic because there's nuances to it. You know, like like so many things in life, there isn't a easy one answer. Um, and I, I, I'm curious because the article you read, it sounded like they were making secret, like a very um, all or nothing concept. And uh, I, I, I'll be interested to see where our conversation goes because I, I make up we're going to end up with much more of a nuance, which some people may love and other people might hate. Which I think is good to, to be mindful of. This may be difficult to hear. We hope you can can stay with us through the end and we welcome, obviously, any questions or follow up on this because we know this can be a really difficult triggering topic. Mm-hmm. Yes. So one of the pieces is, um, one of the pieces is, is there a difference between secrets and lying? Do you think? Oh, I, throw that answer out and make us answer it. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, right. Yeah. Well, one I mean, thing that we start. Well, can I can I even back us up a second? Sure, sure. One thing that we were talking about even before we started recording here. How do we define a secret? Can we start there? What is a secret? And we talked about that article. I'm not sure it was clearly defined. I mean, it sounds obvious, like the most the stupidest question. Like what we all know what a secret is. Something I'm not sharing with somebody. Is that what we're talking about? I would so I would so I'm I'm thinking, right? So so a secret. Uh I would so my definition, uh, and I'm I'm not going by Webster's, is that it's information that I have that I don't want anybody else to know. Or so, is yeah, so or is information that I share with some people but not other people. So I go back to grammar school, right? Or well, grammar school, I just dated myself. I go back to elementary school um when uh when the girls would get together and two of us would share information or share uh something uh, perhaps personal or even maybe a rumor about somebody else. And then it's like, okay, so this is our secret, right? This is, this is, this binds us together. You and I have this, you know, this, this information or what we have shared 
that no one else knows. And it, it was binding in a way. It, it was part of the, 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 the attachment almost. And I don't know if the guys did that or if, if you had that experience, but so that's kind of what I'm thinking about. I, I think couples, I think couples can have a lot of secrets, but then how, you know, it might be, uh, how does secret differ from personal information? Right. That you yeah. don't share with others. Yeah, there was a, and I, I was, you, my first definition to your question, which I guess now I have to rethink is, I thought lying, if we're going lying versus secrets, then lying to me would be more of a act of, commission and a secret is act of omission so i'm lying as i'm actively saying something that's false or misleading secret is something i'm not sharing withholding i think they can both be incredibly detrimental and damaging but maybe when what you just said sharing a secret i don't know though that that may i don't know if that my definition would work for what you just said wendy mm-hmm mm-hmm or if you guys even agree, because to me, then then how do we define secrecy versus privacy? Or I think in what you said, Tim, uh, boundaries. Yeah. So let me go over to uh, parts of the article and then we can go from there. And what, what this article says is we all harbor secrets. Uh, some are big and bad, some are small and trivial. Researchers have parsed which truth to tell and which not to. And so let's see here, secrecy. So how they, they how they define secrecy is secrecy is intentionally withholding personal oh. information from one or more persons. Keeping secrets can often be harmful in the long run, both physically and psychologically. However, according to psychologist Michael Slepian, and Alex Koch, it's not the withholding that hurts us. Instead, it's the ruminating that harms. So do we start, do we start there? Well, I, 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 I we had this conversation off air. Um, and I just want to go back to it, which is, I, I think when they're saying it's the rumination that harms, they're limiting the harm of the secret to the individual. And what we know is that um, you know, when it comes to addiction, there are some secrets, and I'll qualify it that way. There are some secrets that, whether the addict is ruminating on on them or not, or or anybody is ruminating them on on them or not, the the lack of rumination isn't going to create the problem. It's when that secret comes out, and we've all heard all kinds of crazy ways that secrets come out. When it comes out, that's when it becomes problematic. Yeah, I mean, I think someone who is in active addiction and let's say contracts an uh, STI and then they don't tell their partner about it and then the partner, the, the discovery comes when the partner gets a medical exam or something and they find out they have a STI. I mean, that's, the, the addict may not have distress about that. They may have not thought, not have ruminated about it, but of course that's going to be incredibly damaging to the partner, that discovery. And on the other side of that equation, most addicts and, and and many partners that come into recovery keep the addiction a secret. You know, for some not, people in life, they right. They're, they're not. They're they're, they're not. You know, oftentimes, uh, you know, sometimes addicts want to tell everybody, 
and sometimes they want to tell nobody, but it's often very appropriate for them to sort of like be limited on who are they sharing their addiction and that they're in recovery with, because there is still a stigma, unfortunately, around sex addiction. Some partners have told a ton of people about what's going on, and some partners want to tell no one because they're afraid of the response. And so they're holding that that secret about the addiction and the impact of what's going on. And in some ways, that's a very appropriate thing to do as they're managing sort of the boundaries, they're managing who knows. Sometimes those secrets become problematic because, you know, I, I, I sometimes think if you put that out on the table, then you can deal with what's going on. But that's probably not a day one thing. So yeah. there are times that secrets are, again, I see it. Sometimes what we're really talking about is boundaries. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. in, 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 um, uh, I sometimes talk about honesty and we, in, in 12 step, we talk about rigorous honesty. And I will say there's a difference between rigorous honesty and brutal honesty. Yeah. And so I, I think there's that same thing with secrets. There are secrets that you're keeping and, and they're brutal if you keep them. And there are secrets that you're keeping that it's like, well, this is more of a a, a boundary. Yeah, no, I, I really like that. I, I think we're getting to it, right? Like the a secret, I think of a secret is potentially being rooted in shame. Mm-hmm. And a boundary is thinking through all the ramifications of why why am I holding withholding this information? And so uh, am I withholding this information? And I think what it gets very tricky and Tim, you 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 nailed it at the beginning. like this might be very, very yeah. complicated um, is, uh, especially people that have distorted thinking, right, or in distorted thinking saying, well, I'm not telling them this information because it's going to hurt them. You know, so it's going to be a boundary of mine and I'm just going to do this behavior because it's just for me and I don't want to hurt the other person. And so, you know, it's not a secret, really. It's a boundary. So we have to be really, really careful of if we are withholding information, why are we, why yeah. are we doing that? One of the things that I will often talk about with the addicts is you are not a good person to decide if this is a boundary or a secret. Mm-hmm. You, know, you are not a good person to decide if your partner shouldn't know this information. You need to bounce that off of other people and let other people who are not you guide you in that process. And so I guess when we're talking secrets, for me, one of the thing is one of the things would be, is this something that has weight that I'm aware of, that I'm consciously not sharing? And I am choosing to not share it by my own volition or am i choosing not to share it out out of consultation with other people that i trust to give me solid guidance mm-hmm. that aren't just going to confirm what i want them oh. to say yeah yeah yeah. no it's not going to my my best friend and saying so dude i don't think i should tell him They're like oh no definitely you shouldn't sure do it <laughs> you know, that, that that's just you know confirmation bias that's a good point, though, because I think, you know, I hear that all the time and people will will come in and and, and I guess maybe it's a distinction between uh, malignant secrets and benign secrets. And then how do we know the difference? I, I I don't know. I mean, I think it's what we're talking about. And when when is it actually a privacy that I need? I can keep a boundary for when when is it my own distorted thinking that's saying it's a boundary when it's really not? And that's often more of what I, I hear is my clients coming in saying, I don't want to share this because if I share it, it will harm my partner. So I'm not going to. That's I hear that all the time. When the reality is, 
most of the time it's because I'm really scared of what the impact might be. I don't, uh, it's, I'm ashamed of it. I want to hide it. I don't want to share it. And I want to make, I want to make a valid reason. And yes, it may actually hurt my partner to hear this information, but, but would it harm my partner more to hear the information now or to find this information out six months from now? What's the, what's the worst harm or would the partner actually want to know? Most of the time they do want to know if they're, if there's this debate, a lot of times a partner does want to know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, but that tricky, I think that's an important thing you said, Tim, consultation. So, so important having different people, a therapist sponsor, you know, your support team, people that can mm-hmm. have, have trusted wisdom. Yeah. And I think that's really important for partners as well. Um, because I think when partners find out about the sex addiction, it's this piece of who do I tell and when do I tell? And, um, some partners and the traumatic reaction will just tell everybody. And, um, there, that, that tends to be problematic later on. Um, and it's done in a traumatic state. So, you know, absolutely not the best time to do that. And it happens. Um, but, but partners also that are, are sitting with all of this and holding it that I hear often, I feel like I'm holding a secret. I hear, I, I, I can't tell my family. I can't tell my friends, you know, we've, we've said, we're not going to tell anybody and it's eating me alive. So that would be a piece where they're holding the secret and it's being very detrimental. Um, and they're not, uh, getting support. So, um, that's so the then the then then the boundary piece comes in right well so how what do i what do i tell and who do i tell and how do i do that in a very mindful way and um who do i get consultation from and i think the main people that partners get consultation from are therapists and coaches so Um, or finding a good support group that of, of other people that, that have been through it, that they understand, they know, cause they've, they've walked it. Cause sometimes we, even in the best circumstances, we've heard these stories, you know, family members, friends, just that haven't walked through this, they don't understand. And they give a knee jerk response, which is usually polarizing either, you know, I don't know, dump this guy for what he's done or something like that. This a simplistic answer. Mm-hmm. Um, or not helpful or shaming response too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think there's also this piece. Um, so Terrence real has a five, um, five relationship breakers. I'm going to say, and I, and, and one of them, and I hope I have this right. I don't have his book close at hand, but it's unbridled self-expression. Do you, do you guys know that? Mm. Um, and so there's there's also this piece, I think, that happens with addicts anyway, is that they are very, very secretive. And then when they're told, okay, now you have to tell the truth, they swing, the pendulum swings all the way to the other side, and they're telling absolutely everything. And that is not helpful either. Uh, that, that, that can be extremely harmful. So I think you know, how do we guide people, right? How do we guide people around what's appropriate and what's not? And I'm curious, guys, like, do you have, um, do you, do you have a, 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 a barometer for that or any kind of, 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 of explanation that you give to your clients of, you know, here's telling, you know, here's being secretive, here's telling the truth and here's going overboard. Like how, 
how does a person know when they're going overboard? I, I, I have a relatively benign example that I use, which is, I don't know why I always use a grocery store, but I do use a grocery store. If I'm at the grocery store and uh, for whatever reason, there's a, a person there that I am uh, triggered by. Not mentioning it all is, you know, it, if it's enough of a trigger that it weighed on me, not mentioning it all is keeping a secret. Talking to people in program and letting them know about it and saying, hey, this was kind of triggering and this happened. Okay, now I'm I'm letting it out and I'm talking with other people about it. They may suggest that I share with my partner. It may be very appropriate for me to go to my partner and say, hey, it's kind of triggered today. I made phone calls. I kept my boundaries in place. I've been working my program, but I'm feeling solid. Um, and my partner might say, well, what were you triggered by? Well, there was a person at the grocery store that I was triggered by, but I kept my boundaries in place and I moved on. I think that that's a perfectly appropriate conversation. If the partner doesn't ask, what was it? Many partners are 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 happy with, oh, you were triggered. I can tell that. I'm glad you used your program. Thank you very much. Some partners want more information, but you know that's a couple's dynamic to figure out. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say that it's brutal honesty to go to my partner and say, hey, I was triggered. And now let me describe this person right. at the store and what they looked like and what they were doing and what it was about them that was triggering to me. And now I'm painting a picture in my partner's head that is doing nothing but just create more trauma and pain for my partner. And can I just say on that, I think it's such a good point, Tim, because um, Janice Cottle and I try to differentiate disclosure. And we're thinking there's there's not, some people share, and it's but it's not a disclosure, it's a confession. And I right. feel like if I'm oversharing, sometimes that brutal honesty is unburdening myself of something that I feel shame about. And I'm, and I, it may be mine to work with, with my recovery team and say, I felt the shame and, and I know, but some people will confess it and then kind of have their partner almost like they want absolution from their partner. Like, tell me I'm not a bad boy or something. And, and, and then that puts the partner in a terrible spot because like, w this isn't my job, first of all. And then second, this is information that too much information. I don't even know what to do with. So I think there's a lot of pre-work we can do and, to, and even determining that is this, who's this for, if I'm sharing this, is it, is it so I feel better or is it because I feel like it's something, you know, in consultation I'm, with that, that my partner really does need to know and deserves to know. I, I absolutely agree. I actually think that, and I encourage addicts when stuff like this comes up, I want you going to your recovery community first. And sometimes partners don't like that, but I will explain, I want them going to them first because I don't want them. I don't want the addict to use their partner as their higher power. Mm -hmm. and 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 so i don't want the addict to go to the partner and say i acted out or i was tempted or i was triggered and i'm give, telling you what was going on and i'm really looking for you to tell me like you said oh you're still okay and then i can take your unconditional love and internalize it feel better about myself temporarily and hopefully get myself back on track or i might be using him as a fire and brimstone higher power mm, true I, I go to you, I tell you, you're angry and you're pissed off and you're hurt. And now I feel guilt and shame and deeply repentant about what I did. And I use that to sort of either reinforce who I am or get myself on track or like, okay, well, I need to obviously behave better. Mm -hmm. Or I say, right. Or, or say, or say, um, oh, see, I shouldn't have told her anything. Right. So see, yeah, that was a mistake. Right, right. That's a good point. You guys don't know anything. You know, now she's all upset. I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm just not going to tell her anymore. So I, yeah. I love that because I do not want addicts going to their partners 
unfiltered and dumping this out because it it it's often um even when when partners are saying i want to know i'm like yeah but we gotta we gotta filter it because yeah. I, I i don't oh. want it to be unintentionally harmful to you i was yes. do you have a question on that wendy I was, uh, that's well what what, are the, what i what i as you were talking what i i thought of and came up with is um you know what does it look like if they write out ahead of time what they want to say to their partner and they they say it out loud in a private place and say, okay, how does that sound? Like, can I can I imagine how my partner might be reacting to this? But it's so I I, I want this idea of them externalizing it, right? Like so and slowing things down because I think in recovery it's very especially early recovery and I'm going to call it middle recovery is that there's a lot of anxiety for the addict of, I don't know how to do this, right? I'm doing this different and I'm not doing it hundred percent right. And um, I, so there's, there's just a lot of tension and stress. So I always like people to slow things down. I, and one of the ways to slow it down is to write. I would so, take it one step further. And I really like the idea of writing because yeah. slowing it down and letting them consider it more. Right. Even when people write stuff, we don't always, we tend to see it from our own perspective and what we put out, oh, that makes sense. And I think the message I'm trying to put out there makes sense, but we sometimes miss it. So I would say, write it out and take it to, again, another yes. trusted person and right. read it and share it with them to get their feedback on, is the message I'm actually trying to convey what I'm actually conveying? Right. And I think this is a key to increasing intimacy. Mm -hmm. to, to be uh very and and i think i just am feeling out the partner's perspective and wow you know if she knows that that he has done the due diligence like realized oh gosh i did have a trigger uh i'm gonna write out what happened internally for me now i'm gonna go to the other guys and say okay here's you know what happened this is how i'm phrasing it does that how does that sound to you and then going to her now this can't take days or weeks to do right we want you know depending as on we're talking about triggers right we're talking about oh triggers. also a, a trigger but but clearly some people do have boundary plans for example if if someone has a relapse um there very well may be already a plan in place so we need to go by that plan that the let's say the partner says i need to know within 12 hours 24 or 48 hours we've talked about kind of these whatever the right. partner the plan is obviously we need to do it in that time frame right but knowing it maybe because with slips and relapses the moment it happens can we say it's happened in secret and you know does the person write it out right away and then yeah. follow up i think so support system and then, and then but it, i don't know i have a that's why i, I said 12 hours because i know i remember that. you've said this before I like the 12 hours, but, um, you know, different, uh, therapists say 24 hours, same as saying 48 hours. I, uh, by then I think we all the defenses are coming in, but we typically say 48 hours as a minimum. And, and, wow. and, and, and what I always say is I want them to within the first 24 hours of a relapse, I want them talking to their recovery people about what happened how they how they got there and what their plan is to get back on track and how to share this with their partner in a respectful way. And then they have up to 48 hours to get to their partner at an appropriate time and share it with them. 
And, and mostly wow. because I want them to process it and I want them to have that understanding before they take it to their, their partner. Unfiltered. So, you know, so, uh, so for our listeners, we have a, uh, it, uh, so Tim, you know, the name of it, it's called the mail. What do we call it? The mail. You basically can write in questions. Oh yeah. Mailbag episodes. We have a mailbag. mailbag. Well, thank yeah. you. Okay. So for our listeners, I would be so, so appreciative if you write in and give us feedback around what you think, because from, I'm going to just take the partner's uh, perspective today. Jeannie's not here. So the partner's perspective. So it's the piece of, if I'm a partner and I'm waiting two days, I send something's up with my partner uh, I'm sent and I'm saying, Hey, you okay? Yeah. Yeah. I'm fine. And he's oh, doing no, 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 no. Hold on. Cause we always make it clear. If the partner comes and says, is everything okay for the addict to say, no, there's something I need to share with you, but I need to process and work and, and, and figure it out. And I'm going to come back to you and share it with you later on. Oh boy. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think as a partner with the anxiety and the mm -hmm. stress, I don't know. Does that work? I mean, is that working? So I would say if they, if that's going to happen, that there has to be some sort of scaling, like from zero to 10, you know, um, mm. this is big. This is DEFCON levels. Yeah. And she's going to want to know right away. I, 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 I can't, um, I, that's torture to wait. If they say, Hey, look, it's a three or a four. Then, okay. It's a three or four. Maybe she can calm down around that. But her nervous system is going to be absolutely on fire. I I don't know. What we have typically found is that when we put these in place, most of the partners have reported that I know something's off. I know there's something going on. And I know he's going to bring it to me. And so it may not be comfortable, but I can reach out to my support group and I can contain myself because I know he's working on how to bring this to me in a way that's that's respectful and contained and giving me the information that I need. Okay, you just gave me a, uh, there's there's something I wanted to back up with, if that's okay. Uh, it's trust. So it, it sounds like partners yeah. have a trust in you in the process. I was feeling, so I, I was thinking of Jeannie not being here uh, earlier having this. I could just feel if partners listening and saying, kind of squirming with the fact that, wait, you're gonna be filtering all this stuff with these other people or your team that maybe, you know, therapeutic support has failed in the past. You know, they've, they've, they've told, they've instructed you to keep these secrets that have been so damaging or, you know, recovery community. That's kind of, I don't know, perpetuated some gaslighting or uh, that, that of withholding and lying. So I, I don't, for some of my partners, I don't see a lot of trust in the system that that gets earned. And maybe that's just, you guys have earned it by, uh, you know, good solid work. And then that, that team, but there's, it seems like there's this extra level of, oof, I have some partners being like, I don't really want you to filter it somewhere else because I don't trust whatever filtered stuff is coming and who you're actually filtering the stuff with. So I, I, I guess I just want to name that part, how scary this is to trust others in the process. Um, I, I like anyway. that. I was actually just watching a, a John Gottman video last night. And one of the things he was talking about is they did a lot of research into um, relationship repair when something happened. And what they did in their research is they found there was no uh, conclusive answer on how to prepare the relationship. That There was no brilliant way uh, that psychologists or therapists could give you to phrase it or actions to take, or there was nothing that really correlated with this is what does effective repair. 
what it came down to was the person who was impacted by the behavior, how much investment they had in the relationship and their willingness to accept the repair, whatever it was. So for those of you have, who have just joined or are still listening, you're listening to conversations on sex, addiction, and relationships. And today we're talking about secrets. So when you think about that investment piece with relationship repair, do you think that plays into for partners who have more investment in a relationship, having more tolerance for waiting a little bit longer for the addict to bring them this information after they processed it? Or if they're less invested, they have less tolerance for that kind of that time space. I I do. I guess I still would want to know. I mean, I I could think of plenty of partners who would say to me, or say, "Yeah, I'm very invested, but my couples therapy. You know, he was lying through couples therapy for a couple of years. Um, I've had friends who knew about this who betrayed me. Um, you know, uh, my my therapist said it's you know gave me this." advice that was really terrible. And so I'm now I'm here trying to do this with you. I, I, I'm invested in this process, but I don't know that I trust you yet. I've been, you know, wounded and traumatized by the treatment system. I and I also don't know what what this relation what is this relationship? What am I invested in? I'm not really sure what I'm dealing with yet. Who is this person that I'm with and that that I thought I married 30 years ago that I'm just finding this stuff about. So I can see that stuff. Like what I guess what does investment mean? Yeah. I'm invested, but I'm, I've been traumatized. I'm trying to figure out which way is up right now. Yeah. So I, yes. So I think it's also where, where they are in the recovery. So where, if he's had a lot of slips, relapses, and, you know, she's had, she keeps on having to wait 48 hours and 48 hours and for, I, you know, you know, putting oh, right. If it's chronic, it's not a one-time yeah, thing. Like, if this right, is exactly. every other week, you're doing the same thing. Right, right. So um, it's how often are the slips or relapses happening? What stage of recovery are they in? So, um, so I, you know, I'm thinking more about if there's a slip or relapse that it has to happen. The the disclosure to the partner has to happen very, very quickly. And the reason that I say that is, but I hear Tim's point too that it needs to be very careful and. It has to be um, with uh, with all the information, appropriate information, uh, done well. I hear that, um, and I've just seen too many addicts where if they're giving too much time, th they start saying, you know, I don't know, was it a relapse or was it a slip? I don't know. Maybe it wasn't even a slip. Wait, let me go back to my circles again. Let me wait. No, you know, I don't think it was in my inner circle. It's probably middle circle. I don't need to share. And so this sort of, I call it the slip and slide, you know, they're kind of, <laughs> they, they kind of start the, 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 the thoughts start manipulating and it's out of shame. I'm, I'm sure shame, maybe fear. Um, a lot of spouses, uh, partners get very, very angry if there's a slippery last, understandably so. And can we say that many, many addicts are conflict avoidant? Um, so that's uh, also so coming from an idea or a place of the addict is doing this in isolation and they're letting their own denial process run in their head as opposed to consulting with other people. And again, it's that not just anybody in the recovery community, it's the people that are really going to give them quality guidance in the recovery community who are going to be able to see through their bullshit mm -hmm. and, 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 and move through, move past that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and Gottman used the word investment. I, I, I think what you guys are saying is absolutely accurate. Trust gets into that. Patterns gets into that. Trauma and where the partner is in their own trauma healing or the addict at his trauma. You know, the, the, the trust in the community to actually provide guidance. I mean, there's a lot of things that play into how tolerant somebody would be and how, how quickly I need this information versus I trust that you're going to get this to me in a respectful way. Which I think is a really good point. It makes me, it kind of inspires me. I, I, I always, I think I took this for granted that I, I, I provide a confidential safe service and that's really important invest, you know, uh, investment that I have in the process. But I have people coming in that may already not trust me because of their previous experiences and they've, they've, they're coming after betrayal. So why would they trust me? So I guess it, it just makes me, inspires me to be even more trustworthy in my process, be a safer sport for, make sure the partner feels safe that I, I really do have their best interest. And, and that doesn't just come right away. That can I take, take time, take whatever time you need to, to kind of show that. And I can demonstrate hopefully trustworthiness over time. But I think I just, it inspires me. I think as a professional, I hope any of us as a professional to really be that safe space and that will build trust so that the partner can, oh, I can trust this process with you because I know, I know Tim's got my back. I know Dan, you know, we're, we're doing this work that this is, we're, we're really trying to help restore or help. Even if I'm working with the addict, I'm always thinking of the partner. What's their experience? What's the impact of this? What, what might they be experiencing? What's going to help their harm? And so I'm always thinking of that. Um, I think that we need to do that from this work if we're working, you know, as professionals. So it just, what you just said inspires me to be even more safe and trustworthy. So as we're talking about this, what I'm, what's coming up for me is that we're talking about what is effective, um, what is effective as far as recovery, sobriety, and relational healing. And what we're saying on some level is some secrets are appropriate to keep. Some details of things that are triggering are not helpful to share. Going, you know, figuring out how to share something is going to be, and there are some things to 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 say, I was triggered, but I'm not going to go into the details with them. Or for partners, I'm having a really hard time, but maybe they, you know, maybe they're not telling people about what's going on with the addiction. So when we're talking with addicts and partners, how do we help people to find that balance between secrets that are going to be problematic and having appropriate boundaries? So a couple more thoughts um, in terms of, I think, so first of all, of course, being in consultation is critical. It's making with those, those safe, trustworthy people. Um, I also think doing that self-reflection and then bring it to your, to your team who, if I'm keeping this a secret or if I'm sharing this, who's this for, you know, really doing the, the deep reflection, I think is important. I also think if, and I've seen this happen. If if someone's saying no, this is privacy. This is a boundary that I'm keeping, and they're just saying this is a boundary. Um, I think that's okay if if they've determined in consultation. What I will say is, for example, and one example would be, um, I have a I'm working with an addict, and they're coming into a therapy session, and then the the partner's like, so how was therapy? What did what did you talk about? Perfectly fine question. If the addict says, "Well, that's a boundary. It's my therapy session. Um, it's my own private space," and kind of basically back out, back off. Now, that's a boundary, and and yes, it is a private space, and I do think it needs to re remain private. That said, that's not very relational to say back off. The 
this is a boundary you can't know anything about it i think a more relational so so i would encourage people if there's those kinds of boundaries you're setting what is the access point so yeah you're not transcribing the session or recording it or something but could you say here's a couple things that i i'm taking from this and i can i can challenge myself to be vulnerable and open some of this stuff so it's maybe not sharing the whole context of everything but can i share some pieces of it so i think that's the the um you know i've had partners like i want to read your journals journal entries so i can really get a sense of your headspace or something which that's not going to really get what the partner's really wanting but but can you say well these are the things i'm growing in in my recovery and do some sort of um more intentional check-in each day so i guess that's what i would say to be nuanced if you're going to keep a boundary make sure what that is is there information you could share that would provide some vulnerability and, and kind of connection and intimacy with your partner yeah i think i i love that dan i think also the there's pieces around uh, so if a if a addict is going to have boundaries that it's discussed with the partner and I'm going to go to on the other side, a lot of times partners are like, this is my boundary. This is my boundary. And I know that it's uh, meant as uh, uh, in the vein of keeping her safe. Uh, and a lot of times the addicts are coming from an abandonment wound and they get uh, activated by the boundaries. So how how can each person say, this is this is what I feel I need to do to to be safe and are you okay with that do you understand how i feel do you understand where this is coming from so that there's mutual empathy there can be mutual empathy in that so thank you listeners and uh, as you can see um, we're a team that likes to challenge each other and sometimes we agree and sometimes we disagree and that's all part of the conversation. And so we're letting you into our inner world this way, um, which we are happy and excited to do. We also want to hear from you. We have a mailbag and so you can write us at conversations.sar at gmail.com. And you can send questions, comments there. The questions we will answer live and post to you. And of course, we'll take your questions very, or your, excuse me, your comments seriously, if you have feedback for us. And in the meantime, we wish you all well. Please, if you liked this episode or other episodes, like us there and share them on the social, different, different social media platforms, Twitter, uh, like LinkedIn, uh, wherever, wherever. <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs>